I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. Usually I'm sitting in that seat. I know, we are completely flip-flopped. It's all upside down. I have to turn my head to the left to see you now. You look really, your, your left profile is quite exquisite. I think that when I'm taking a picture, I prefer to have my head tilted a little bit to the left at an angle. Is that something you're supposed to know by the age of 37, what side is your good side? I think that it's always flip-flopped. There are times when I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good picture. I should try to do that again. But then when I do it again, I'm like, oh, that didn't work. And then I go back to the other one. And so I really have never landed on a better side. I just want to let you know. I'm just excited that I learned how to smize in the past year but of I my do, life. But I do own a number of sneakers where the inside Nike is a specific color different than the outside Nike swoosh. And so I try to position my feet in a way that have a better angle. Well, I feel like you normally position your shoe so that your head is out of the picture and your shoe takes precedence. So we've hit one of the Kate trifecta. All right. And the other is... And none of this has anything at all to do with today's episode. Nothing at all. But <laughs> whatsoever. one other point of the Kate trifecta is oat milk. Wait, what is... So, sne- oh, sneakers, I know. oat milk, and Peloton. Yes. So, oat milk does have to do with today's topic. Hey, because you just, said today. Can we just give a little shout out to my site, since all we do is talk about Peloton? Um, do, do you have a trifecta of things that you like to talk about? And No, not my trifecta, my site. That your wife... Wait, but you actually work for that site. ...is a teacher on Glow, only one of the best websites in the world, and all we do is talk about Peloton. Well, it's because I don't have any skin in the game, as they say, when it comes to Peloton, so... You have a skin of your entire wife in the game. That's what I'm saying. No, no, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is I can, I can shamelessly talk about Peloton because I don't work for Peloton, and I don't live and breathe the beauty that is Peloton. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, you do. Anyway. So, anyway, the Kate trifecta, talking third person, always really charming. But the oat milk is going to be very pertinent to today's conversation. So, as a beautiful transition, I said to you today that I think that switching, because I drank a lot of dairy most of my life. So much cow milk. Switching to oat milk has probably been the decision I've made that has had the best impact on the environment. Yes, and I think that's completely opened your mind to shifting into a plant-based diet, which th- this is okay. Talk, start start here. I'm pointing to something. Okay, all right. Well, what we're going to start with? There's so much to talk about, you guys. So I'm a little behind. Don't turn off the podcast, but we're going to be vegetarian now. Uh, okay. Oh, don't that, turn it off. That's no, not, that's not burying the lead. That's just saying whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I didn't bury the lead. I know. That's what I said. It's not burying the lead. It's just. I know. Guys, that was like verbal ejaculation of. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's (laughs) gross. Is it? Okay. So. I'm gay. Do you think I want to talk about ejaculating? That is awful. Oh my God. All right. So, in non ejaculating um, (laughs) updates, there's this book. Poor Jonathan. Wow. Um, So, the author is Jonathan Saffron Foyer. And I may be mispronouncing his name, but that's what I I like to think. We think it's Foyer. He wrote this book 10 years ago. It's called Eating Animals. It's a national bestseller. He's a phenomenal wordsmith, beautiful writer. And uh, I, I actually... Why did you pick that book up? Well, that's what I was about to say. I can't remember exactly what it was. I know what happened roughly. I think what happened was somehow... I may have been on Bon Appetit or something like that, and I somehow saw a link to Farm Forward, the organization. We're talking to the executive director today on the podcast. Look and at you doing really smart podcasting things, like telling people who's on the show. You no, know, look at me instead of, oh, vegetarian. <laughs> I, just, I, I just have a lot of We're internalized issues. <laughs> so um, we're, we're having him on the show, and I, I found this... this um, organization called Farm Forward, and they were fascinating to me because they are one of the only organizations out there that their goal is to end factory farming, but they're not a vegan organization, which was interesting to me. And they have a very non-proselytizing approach to encouraging people to be more thoughtful, eat less meat, and perhaps move over to a plant-based diet. And as from my background, I'm in the yoga and wellness world. What? So in case y'all didn't know, and um, I have been slammed. I, I've been a vegetarian and meat eater on and off throughout my entire life. And whenever I post any animal products, it could range from an actual piece of meat to bee pollen. 
I have been put through the ringer on articles and social by angry vegans. And I'm just going to tell you exactly how it is. When I see or hear from an angry vegan, it makes me stubborn and resilient to the cause. What's I, the cause? To the cause of be, be, of going vegan. Like if you get up in my face and tell me that I should be vegan and treat me like I'm an asshole and shame me, that is not Resistant going to win to the me cause. over. Okay. Yes, it's not going to win me over if you call me an asshole. And unfortunately, I understand the level of passion behind why people go vegan. I fully, completely understand that. And I understand that some people don't know how to translate their passion into educational material and pulling people in with open arms. Instead, it's, you know, it's like a, like a non, it's like a vegan leather baseball bat to the head, even though baseball bats are made out of wood. And I mean, technically Some pick, are made it's out a of football. Metal. It's like a, it's like a vegan football. You can, you can hit the ball by Tom Brady right into your face. With and metal. It just, it, it, that it's, I think that's part of the reason why I've seesawed so much in my life is that I have been in a community where the stakes are so high and I have not been accepted uh, either way, really. You know, if you eat plant-based, then people are like, oh my God, why can't you just fucking eat bacon? But then if you're eating bacon, like you're going to burn in hell. And that's this, there's no, you're annoying if you're a vegetarian, you're a jerk if you're not. And it's, there's just no peaceful place to exist with what you want to put on your plate. Um, So it's been a major seesaw for me. And then I picked up this book, Eating Animals, and it was exactly uh, the baseball bat to my face that I needed to remind myself why I have been vegetarian so many times in my life and why, ideally, I would never like to eat a piece of meat for the rest of my it's life. It's so curious because I am, this is not curious, what I'm about to say, that I'm such a good wife that I was like, okay, I'll do it with you. You're what's me, cu- yes. You're- what's, what's curious is that then in the subsequent 10 days... I've found it baffling how much lack of insight I've even had over my choices Mm. and how I'm extremely conscientious about most choices I ever make. And we've been through this list. Except for this. And that's always been very confusing to me. It's been curious to me about you as one of the most educated and thoughtful people that I know that there's been a blind spot with you when it comes to eating animals, actually. Not the book, but yeah. No, not the book. Like, yeah. actually consuming... Well, because Didn't meat, know when he wrote that book that it would be so confusing to say it in a well, sentence without... Okay, but did you think about the, the double entendre, by the way? Because it's a book about consuming animals, but we are also animals that eat. <gasps> yeah, we yeah. are eating animals. But we technically are animals. and No, we, no, I know, yes, I know. Like, you, we yeah. eat animals, uh-huh, and also uh-huh. we are animals who yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's like the snake okay, eating okay. its own tail. The only, uh, see, see, like, I will admit to you right now. And everyone listening. <laughs> and everyone right now, everyone listening, that I want to not eat meat anymore to support you. And you. also because there's this vague notion in my head, and I've conveyed this to you, that in some other dimension, there's a superior living being to us that is as superior to us as we are to chickens and treats us the way we treat chickens mm-hmm. and farms us the way we farm chickens. And there's just like, that to me just like is enough to say, not only am I willing to support my wife, but you that's hope just, the aliens don't come farm you. Yes. They, but there's still this missing piece in my brain, in my soul, that I'm, I'm, as I read, quote unquote, eating animals, and as I continue to think about it, I hope develops like this pure understanding of the pain animals go through that I can actually grasp onto and the environmental effects and my belief that I can change them. I hope that grows in between. But right now, it's simply support you. And holy shit, I don't want some other dimension where I'm farmed. You actually seem like you have had more of an emotional reaction to it in the past but 10 that days em- than I've ever seen in you before. Yes, and that emotional reaction has come from, I take a lot of value in being purposeful in my choices, and I've recognized that as I make decisions, even that are hard over the last two weeks, to not eat 
the meat option right. at a restaurant or Which not is eat ninety percent of a right, menu. That I like having a mission. And I mm. like having a purpose. And that part of me has come alive. And and then as we talk about this book, I say, I don't want to eat meat again, but it's not driven by some like sadness. Like when I watched mm-hmm. the, like earlier today when we were, we played <laughs> the preview for quote unquote eating animals, the documentary narrated by Natalie Portman. Love you, Natalie Portman. Really love her. Really a big fan. I'm right here. She narrated that documentary and you started crying in the preview for the quote unquote eating animals documentary. I don't feel that way. I know. And you guys, it's, it's pretty tame preview. Like big, her, my, my wife's big eyes filled with tears. You know, when someone's eyes are filled with tears and they get big and glossy, like a little cartoon character. That's what she looked like. And it, it was beautiful. It, it's always, we really, didn't watch the whole documentary. Though. No, I can't watch it. I can't do it. I can read, but I can't watch. Um, yeah. So, so we really, we wanted to have a conversation with someone because I, I, I believe and this expands into all forms of social justice and not just talking about animal welfare, but Speaking of animal welfare, that, we that have, crying in the background is Ashi. starving puppies, yeah. It's, Ashi, who can't exactly shut the fuck up and wait for her food. minutes past chow time. Um, no, but I think that just when it comes to educating people on any of these platforms, you know, to, to educate with warmth and love. And instead of shaming someone for what you think they are doing wrong or their lack of Would education. Would you think we're educating? Because I don't even know enough to educate. I think, I mean, personally, I can't speak for you, but speaking for myself, if someone has questions for me, I'm happy to answer them for them. And I'm, I'm not going to make them feel bad if they don't already know those answers or if they haven't taken the time to research it. If someone comes to me when it's their time to, quote unquote, wake up and they want to talk, like, yeah, I'll totally talk about stuff. And and, and I mean, that I, that's not just about animals. It's about sexuality. It's about animals. It's about everything. And uh, just because I've taken the time on a certain topic to become more educated on something, I'm not going to put someone down because they're not at the level that I am currently at. And so I just think that's important no matter what you're talking about. You, I mean, the, the saying, right? You, you, you get more bees with, no, you. It, no, 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 you do this. Go for it. I know the saying. I just said it the other day. You get more. You track more flies with honey. You get more. Okay. Right? So, that's the saying. Are you saying when you're nice about something? Yes. Yeah. I like the saying, don't get your honey where you get your money, which means don't have relationships at the office. I, I could translate <laughs> that. Thank you. Thank I you. like that honey saying. Oh, honey bunny. So, yes. Yeah, so that's why we're having Andrew on today. So he can, you know, be the spokesperson for Farm Forward. And we just hope that this is a really educational episode for meat eaters and veggies alike who just want to make more educated, conscious decisions and plainly put, be a better human. Oh, damn. So you're already kind of in the proselytizing mode. I don't think that's proselytizing. You I said think that, that, that being a vegetarian means you're a better human. That's proselytizing. I said for meat eaters and vegetarians. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was thinking about yeah, what I was going to say. if you listen to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was thinking about a joke about oat milk and Peloton. Yeah, well, that went over well. <laughs> so I think we should maybe talk to Andrew Do you now. think Andrew will love this lead-in for him? I think Andrew's going. All right, but before we bring him on, let us take a quick second and tell people who he is. Andrew DeCoriolis brings extensive experience in sustainability, grassroots organizing, and corporate leadership in both the public and private sectors. He is the executive director for Farm Forward, and Farm Forward implements innovative strategies to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. Andrew's work has engaged more than half a million program participants, led millions of kilowatt hours saved, and has been covered in leading periodicals, including the Wall Street Journal and Free Cookies. Let's do it. Let's bring them on. Slip that in. Yep. All right, we are now joined by Andrew DeCoriolis. And Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, before you jump in here, a free cookies, typical start to an interview. Our listeners have already gotten your former formal bio, but we just like to know kind of what's interesting to you. If you had to give us top of mind what you're about right now in this part of your life, how would you answer that? That's a great question. And thanks for having me on, Kate and Catherine. It's great to be here. 
Um, I talk a lot about chickens. <laughs> That's a great start. <laughs> I unfortunately know more about chickens than most people care to know. People love talking about chickens, so thank God for that. <laughs> um, I do get a lot of quizzical looks, and uh, you know, more than a few people excuse themselves to get up and get a second drink. Um, oh man! <laughs> but uh, no, I spend a lot of time talking about animal agriculture and um, the ways in which we raise uh, animals for food in this country. And I also talk a lot about ways we can um, nudge people towards making better decisions about uh, healthy and sustainable food. Yeah. And so when you, you speak about chickens, that's funny. Cause I wasn't going to say that I talk about cows. Um, when you talk about this at the parties, is this something that, you know, every dinner party you go to that you're going to bring it up? Like, do you feel like it is your duty to bring that into the conversation or are, are people like, shit, Andrew's coming to dinner. Like hi, the chickens. Like, you know? I do my best not to be doom and gloom, but, um, you know, if the conversation comes around to, you know, what do you do? Um, how do you spend your, your, your days? Um, you know, I'll, I'll give the, the stump speech about farm forward and how we're trying to, um, promote sustainable agriculture and better practices on farms and people usually, and I'm, I'm often surprised about this. People usually actually want to dig into it. They want to know what's going on. They ask me a bunch of follow-up questions about, labels and claims, or they want to know what eggs they should buy, or they want to know where they can get a plant-based alternative or what my favorite veg restaurant is. So usually people are pretty excited about talking about it. So I don't, I'll give, I'll give people an excuse though. I'll give like them a vague answer. And if they want to dig in more, they can ask. Totally. Well, and that's why we were so excited to have you on the show, because I think what you're doing at Farm Forward, and we'd love to hear more about that. It's one of the most impressive non-prostolatizing groups out there. And there's such a, that fine line between opening people's eyes and giving them permission to learn versus making them feel shamed or guilty for what they've been doing. And I just think that Farm Forward is doing such a beautiful job of kind of opening their arms and helping educate. So could you tell our listeners more uh, about like the ethos and the goals of Farm Forward? Yeah, absolutely. So our goal is, is simple. Our goal is to end factory farming and the industrial raising of animals for food. Um, and I think, you know, you're exactly right about the, the conversation and how to uh, engage people in it. I think, you know, people who advocate for better treatment for farmed animals, but I think just advocates in general um, have realized that, um, you know, often sh things like shame and call out culture and um, guilt trips, um, you know, do a lot more to drive people away from uh, a topic or an interest uh, versus opening up a conversation that they may be able to engage in. And with food in particular, I mean, food is just so complicated and the ways in which people relate to food, um, you know, it's not a, a simple utilitarian decision people are making. It's wrapped up in their identities and their family histories and in their geographies. And um, when you can find ways to, um, give permission to people to care and to care about um, things like farmed animals, which when you ask people, the vast majority do, um, I think you're going to do a lot. You're going to get a lot more out of it. Um, you're going to, you're going to be able to make progress in ways that you couldn't, if you just said, you know, um, go vegan. And if you haven't, um, you know, you're a piece of crap. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, we, we've found that opening a conversation and engaging people in the kind of communities that they're in, whether those are religious communities or whether they're um, geographic or cultural communities um, on their terms with members of their own communities leads to just much more productive uh, dialogue. So, Andrew, I know that part of what the question Catherine just asked was about either vegans or vegetarians who actually are aggressive and maybe we're talking about Instagram here where it's like if you post a picture of like a dinner that has meat in it and then there's a lot of aggressiveness but there is this line in eating animals the book you know I mean I don't I'm not telling you this I'm telling our <laughs> listeners this on which farm forward has built its ethos so eating animals and so there's this line in eating animals where Jonathan is saying how it's almost impossible for people to even say that they're vegetarian, just simply acknowledge it as a fact without it being perceived as aggressive. So what's your, what's your, what's your perspective on why we're so defensive about eating animals? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's hard for people to sit with, um, 
something that's discordant in their lives um, or to sit with um, themselves making decisions that they know probably somewhere in the back of their mind go against their values. And I think that's hard for people in any, you know, any facet of their lives. Um, and, you know, if I'm making decisions for whatever reasons to eat, eat animal products or eat products from, you know, industrial farms, which most of us are, um, on some level, I think most people think, uh, I don't, that's not something about myself I really like. Um, and so, you know, if, you approach that with, you know, sort of calling them out for it or shaming them. I think most people's sort of natural reaction is just to push back, you know, just to be defensive and say like, nah, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to engage in that. Um, you know, cause it may be something about ourselves we're not super proud of. Um, and you know, I know I felt that. And so, you know, in this, in this context, you know, like in most contexts, I just think, um, extremism or, um, you know, purity and for, you know, some, some kind of purity, um, uh, isn't always helpful. Um, you know, life is complex and messy and, uh, people have to make all kinds of decisions for all kinds of reasons and you know, giving them, uh, you know, permission to still be a good person and to still uh, be someone who cares and still can have a positive impact. Um, while they may, you know, be occasionally eating a, an egg McMuffin from, you know, <laughs> McDonald's is I think an important, an important thing. Yeah. It's so crazy to me. And Catherine and I have been talking about this over the last few weeks because she was so moved by eating animals that the book, the the book, I'm sorry, (laughs) capital E, capital A, eating animals, quote unquote, the book. should just probably Uh, clarify that (laughs) one. I'm sorry. So we've been talking about how in our lives, we in almost every decision we make, we like drive to the bottom of all possible decisions. So it's like, we love coffee and I can tell you that we've researched how to find the best coffee espresso like throughout the country. Right. And now we order them in before we buy anything. We're like, let's look at all of the reviews. Let's make sure this is the thing we want. And yet when it comes to, I'm speaking for me personally now, my decision to eat meat, it almost has been this default mode decision that I'm very curious in myself why I haven't, why I've disassociated. So how, like, because you're in this world, like, how do we even develop, how do we develop such a disassociation when it's something so profound? Like, how is that possible? Well, I, I have to add on to this, too, because I was talking with my mother, who grew up in Nebraska, virtually, and and my niece, who's 25, both very, very intelligent women. And I was, um, like you, Andrew, waxing on about chickens the other day. <laughs> and and I, I started to get to not even the, the ethical part about it, just the, the the production part. And I started to go into that and they both just said, no, 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 no. You know, I don't I don't want to hear that because I'm never going to want to eat chicken again. <laughs> to which I was like, exactly. Like, why? So you are just not going to listen to me because you would rather put something in your body and not know what it's doing. It, it's the most perverse and complicated thing. And, and I think, like you said, it's just culture and it's so ingrained in us and don't take away what I share with my people around the dinner table. It's well, like, what fascinating. Else, yeah. So what, what else have you learned about like how this disassociation has developed? The smart people yes. who just turn off that part of their brain and compartmentalize. Totally. I think, you know, this is the water that we all swim in for the most part. Um, you know, and it's, it's similar. I feel similarly about things like, you know, patriarchy and racism. It's like, these are, you know, deeply connected to our, how our culture has been structured mm-hmm. and, you know, meat eating has been made to be central to that. And it's not an accident. It's been, you know, intentional over decades and decades, um, you know, by people with interests and in making meat eating the default. Um, and that, um, you know, I think that's also been made possible by, you know, br- you know, really broad shifts in our society, things like urbanization and the fact that, you know, you know, the vast majority of us now are not, um, are so disconnected from our, our food production systems. We don't know what farms look like. We don't know, um, you know, we don't know what a chicken looks like. People, you know, couldn't, couldn't identify, um, farmed animals in some cases. So, um, I think part of, you know, some of those trends exacerbate that, that problem. Um, but you know, it's also been intentional. The industry has made, um, for example, made it, you know, virtually impossible to, um, take photos or images in some cases of uh, industrial animal agriculture um, 
you know, in Never something like 12, <laughs> yeah, for, in something like 12 states, they've, they've passed things called ag gag laws, which make it illegal to take a photo or video of an industrial farm. Um, and these laws are being challenged now on First Amendment uh, grounds and I think ultimately will be defeated. But dozens of states have passed them. And I think this is just a, a pretty clear indication of, um, you know, how far um, the meat industry is willing to go to try and keep people from um, closing that gap of association. Um, uh, so I think, you know, it's a combination of, um, you know, the sort of the culture and, and the water we swim in and the sort of intentional uh, actions of the, the meat industry. This is how they want us to react and feel. I've been programmed. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a, yeah. an awakening yeah. for Kate, for sure. I So, okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about labels when it comes to animal products when you're doing your grocery shopping. And for, I feel like anyone listening to this episode must at least be um, if they're free cookies listeners, they, they, they've got some knowledge of this right. World, right? But, but also they must be plant-based curious. I'll put it that way. Or, you know, <laughs> how can I be a more conscious consumer minimally? Right. So, you know, for someone who's going to the store and they want to maybe start eating a plant-based diet or minimally be very conscientious of where they're getting their meat. And you look at these labels and you see step one and step two and step three and step four and cage-free and grass-fed and free-range. What do like, they do, mean? Do they actually mean anything? Or is that just some the man way. trying to put a sparkly, like put a lipstick on a pig for a really lack of a better way of putting it? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I, and I think the the two sort of listener groups you you mentioned, people who are conscientious consumers and who are who may be eating animal products, but who also may be plant, um, plant curious. I also like that phrase. Um, <laughs> I think those, those things are very complimentary. Um, you know, and in our experience, when people begin to ask questions like, what do these labels mean? Or how do I find, uh, uh, you know, meat or poultry or eggs that come from animals raised in better conditions? Um, the outcome of that is oftentimes to also eat less, eat fewer animal products. Um, you know, w- when you begin to really sort of see the system for what it is or, or pay a fair cost for the kind of animal products, you know, uh, that come from, you know, better farms, um, I think people tend to, uh, eat less of it. And so for the labels, you know, this is such, it's a really rough position we put consumers in. Um, you know, unfortunately most of the, the claims or the labels, um, on products, um, are some degree of meaningless. Um, the USDA does a pretty bad job by and large of regulating and enforcing, the um, definition of certain claims. Um, and then there are some claims that, you know, may be outright deceptive. Like sometimes you'll see on um, uh, chicken products, um, the, the phrase cage free. And while that may be a better thing for um, egg laying hens, um, all chickens raised for meat uh, are raised in cage free environments. And so it just it is an actively deceptive label. Um, so what we what we encourage consumers to do is to look for a third party certification, one of a couple that we uh, recommend, and other groups like the uh, ASPCA and Humane Society all encourage consumers generally in the same direction around this, which is look for um, the label called Certified Humane, okay. the label called Global Animal Partnership, or the label called Animal Welfare Approved, and these are all they're like the organic program. You know they have rigorous standards. They have third-party audits uh, on farms where people go out and kick the tires and make sure that, you know, animals are being raised in certain ways. Um, So there's a certain amount of, you know, credibility and trust that you can get by looking for those labels. So I wanted you to fact check me on something. Is the statistic still correct that 99% of the meat that we consume in the United States comes from factory farms? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. And, and that is the, really daunting. <laughs> yeah, that's the 2014, which is the most recent ag census just came out. And I think the numbers got a little worse. It was like 99.6 or 7. And now it's like 99.8 um, by uh, by volume. It is really daunting. I mean, th- this is something that I think is another reason why people choose not to engage in this is because the the picture is pretty bleak. I mean, for all intents and purposes, when we're talking about you know, animal agriculture in the U S we're talking about factory farming and we like to think that, you know, Oh, well I'm buying, you know, some of us may be buying, Oh, you know, something from a local farmer and that's, that's great. And those are important things to do. Um, but that just doesn't represent the sort of scope and scale of the, um, conventional system. 
All right, Andrew, can you give us the backstory of why you ended up at Farm Forward? Can you take us through your vegetable eating journey? <laughs> or meat eating. The, the, the I don't know. I didn't want to put I didn't want to put the emphasis on meat eating because I thought maybe you could have been, you know, a vegetarian most of you. I don't know. So tell us the story. How did you end up at Farm Forward? Well, it's it's pretty circuitous, but I'll I'll start with I think maybe the some of the relevant touch points. So I I you know I grew up outside of Chicago. I grew up in the Midwest, um, eating a real traditional Midwest diet. Like Me I, too. Of, I'm from Kansas. Of, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. We spent a lot of time in Kansas actually, outside of Wichita. So know nice. a lot about Kansas. Um, yeah. So you know, eating a lot of like steamed broccoli and chicken breast in olive oil. This was like the low fat craze of the '80s and <laughs> yes. uh, and early '90s, and so. Um, you know, diet, I think most Americans, most people would recognize. Um, and then I went to, went to college and, and part of the, uh, dining system where I went to college was, um, a co-op system, which were run by students. And so about half of the campus ate in these, you know, basically dining halls that were run by students from start to finish. So students would buy the food, prep the food, choose the menus, do the dishes, do all the food service, um, you know, do food safety, do everything. And so these were um, places where, you know, students could get hands-on experience in and around food, but also, um, you know, for most students, they were doing it because it was a lower cost option. Um, And as part of that, I was in the co-op system for for four years. I had every range of position, everything from dishwasher to um, food buyer. I got to see a really different, um, sort of angle of vision on, on food and on our food system. And part of my goal as a food buyer was to do things like, um, buy as much produce as I could from Northeast Ohio, uh, which is where the school was. So could we find, you know, farms and a lot of them were Amish farms in that area who would sell us apples or carrots or tomatoes in September or, um, whatever it was. And, you know, just getting to know, um, the, the food system and, and the kind of, you know, labor and, um, you know, r- real barriers that are in place for um, small farmers and farmers trying to raise uh, food in better ways, um, you know, just made me, I w- I'd say maybe radicalized me for, um, you know, ma- made me think that there was an alternative food system possible uh, to the one we have now, which is really, you know, focused on producing mass quantities of, you know, in most parts, you know, export or, you know, food we're going to feed animals um, that we're going to then, you know, either export or go into um, extremely cheap food that's mostly bad for us and, um, you know, mostly doesn't treat anyone in that supply chain very well, either the farmers or the workers preparing it. And so I was I was sort of radicalized to there could be a, a better future for that. Um, and then several years later, I got an opportunity after school and after working in, in the sort of energy and, and building energy efficiency sector, um, got a chance to come back to working in food, uh, very happily. So, so I feel like most humans, if you really sat down with them and asked them if they want to make a difference and, and choose to eat in a more humane way, they would all say yes. Um, and if they said, no, you should probably get the hell out of that room. Um, but, but in all reality, here's the thing. I think that people say, okay, I'm going to research where I can buy more humane meat, or I'm going to try to find a local farmer or butcher. But when push comes to shove and it's 4.30 PM and someone's at the grocery store and they want to make dinner, I think what they end up doing is they just buy the meat at their local grocery store because that is convenient and life is busy. So for the person who, you know, I mean, convenience is king, sadly. So like what in realistically, aside from saying like, go find a local farmer and visit their farm once a week, which is really idealistic, but I just don't see people doing that on a regular basis. Like what can people do? Like what can they actually do that is going to start to, you know, turn the tide? Yeah, good question. I think there are a couple of answers to that. I mean, and you're right that, you know, price, convenience and taste are really the things that are most consumers are choosing based on. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of people in the sort of animal advocacy community, sustainable ag community are enthusiastic about new, um, plant-based, uh, food technologies, things like the impossible burger or the beyond burger, which just went public this week in part because it's something that is convenient, um, and tastes good right now. They're, they're not, they're not quite there yet on the price, on the price point side, but 
Um, you know, I think there's enthusiasm that if we can make um, plant-based foods, um, you know, delicious and affordable, um, that more people will choose them. And there is precedent to think that that's the case. So in the, in the you know, dairy industry over the last 20 years, there's been a pretty seismic shift. Now, something like 15% of the liquid uh, dairy uh, market is plant-based dairy. So, you know, almonds, soy, cashew, et cetera. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, a massive shift. And if we saw the same thing happen in the meat industry, it would have, you know, profound impacts in the you know, American agricultural system and in rural communities. Um, so it could be a really fantastic thing. Um, so I think that's, that's one point of optimism. I think for many people who, when they start to learn more about the labels and, you know, they're trying to, am I picking the right eggs or, you know, whatever they get into that sort of space, I think many people just choose to eat less of it um, because it is, um, very hard when it comes right down to it to find something that aligns with their values. Um, so, you know, maybe you can get it at, you know, Whole Foods or you can get it at your specialty boutique, um, you know, butcher, uh, but you can't get it at your Vons or your Rayleigh's or your Safeway. Um, or maybe if you can, maybe you can get one product and it's only a little bit better. Um, and so people I think are just opting to eat less of it. And I think that's, that's a part of the solution too. Um, on the community level, there's also some really exciting stuff happening from grassroots communities, from, you know, parents groups in school districts and community organizers in cities who are beginning to um, put food and food ethics and food sustainability on the political agenda in really exciting ways. And happy to share more about that. But I think that that's another outlet for people who m maybe um, have said, you know, I'm, I'm either doing this as a consumer or I don't think what I can do as a consumer is enough. And I want to, um, have a bigger impact in my community, in my church, in my school, in my business. Does it have anything to do with the, the default veg project that y'all are working on? Yeah, that's, that's one of the ways. Uh, absolutely. So default veg, um, we're really excited about it. It's sort of a new campaign, um, leveraging the sort of best, um, best practices of behavioral economics and what we've learned from how people actually make decisions to um, try and help institutions, especially places like schools and businesses and universities, um, make plant-based eating the default and make it the norm rather than the exception. Um, so we're really excited about this campaign. We've, we're just rolling it out right now. Um, had some uh, er early adopters, which were, which were stoked about. Some folks you may know, Spirit Rock, the meditation center, um, just pledged to be default veg for all of the meals that they serve. They serve something like 100,000 meals um, at their Bay Area retreat center every year. Um, and we're talking to you know dozens now of universities and and businesses about how they can make the their meal programs, their dining programs, um, default veg. Um, so that's that's one that's one area for sure. Yeah, I think so much of the of the trouble with conveying to just the casual listener or consumer the issues around meat and dairy and animal products is just the density of the information too like so and 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 by that I I wanted to to illustrate the point I wanted to read from a blog post uh, on farm forward from like about like a week ago talking about like a specific dairy farm and I, I just want you to decode it because I think one, I think within it, there's a lot of information that people don't even know when it comes to the impact of dairy. And then also this, anyway, I'm going to read this quote and then can you just kind of like give it to me in layman's terms? Just so farm forward joined a coalition of environmental farming consumer groups in opposing a proposed permit from three mile Canyon farms, mega dairy. The permit would authorize a manure to energy project, greenwashing three mile canyons, air polluting emissions as renewable energy. So I got so confused. Cause I'm like, greenwashing sounds good. Mm. I want to greenwash. <laughs> and then like, we want to turn bad things into renewable energy. So I think even sometimes for like just... It sounds sneaky. Yeah, the, it sounds sneaky, but also just like the casual observer is like just so confused by all of it at times. Like you said, like, well, I got step three. What is it? Oh, it's not good. Oh my God, I can't even deal with this whole thing. Anyway, so can you kind of decode that and like take us through some of that, even that infrastructure and so all the sneakiness that happens as well? <laughs> yeah, totally. Happy to. So that's, a, that's an interesting... 
situation that's happening in, in Oregon right now, um, basically this, this mega dairy. So these are really, it's a sort of a colloquial term, but just massive dairy farms, you know, so most people picture, Oh, it's a dairy. And this is the dairy that our parents or grandparents had where you have maybe a few hundred cows and they live outside on, on grass. And then they come in twice a day to be milked. Um, that's not how most, uh, dairy cows are raised any longer. So these dairies in, uh, in Oregon, maybe anywhere between 20,000 and 75,000 cows. Um, they're, you know, kept in uh, total confinement. Um, you know, so they're in a, a dry feedlot typically. Um, and, you know, not surprisingly, when you have that many animals in the same place, it's a lot of cow shit. Um, and so what these mega farms do, both dairy, but also in, in pig farming, you see the same thing. Uh, they basically dig a big hole and put all of the uh, excrement and waste into the uh, into the pit uh, where they either uh, then spray it on fields uh, or let it leach into the ground none of which is good all of that is is about as good as it sounds um, <laughs> and um, and the proposal that's that was put forward in Oregon and this is being put forward in some other places like in North Carolina on some of these big hog farms is to basically put a cover over the over these manure pits um, capture the methane that's coming off of them. Uh, this is, you know, uh, gas methane, uh, and then effectively burn it, uh, for, uh, as a, as a fuel source and run a generator uh, for electricity. Um, and, you know, ostensibly that seems like a good thing. It's like methane going up into the atmosphere, it's a very potent greenhouse gas. That's not a good thing. And so better that we burn it and turn it into electricity, probably, um, but ultimately, the, the problem is, is not the methane, you know, outside of this broader system. It's the fact that we have dairies that are raising tens or hundreds of thousands of cows in confinement um, and overproducing a product, i.e. milk, that consumers actually aren't that interested in. Um, and so from our perspective, these kinds of, you know, technologies, um, while they seem good, um, when you sort of scratch a little deeper, they're really propping up this, this broader system of factory farms. Uh, and they're giving consumers the impression that, oh, hey, this is a really good thing. And this, this Three Mile Canyon or this other operation down the road is doing a good thing. So we shouldn't oppose it more broadly. Um, so our, our, our view on this one is, you know, we want, we want to get rid of all of these mega farms um, so they can't pollute water, so they can't uh, treat animals terribly, uh, so they can't uh, treat workers badly, as opposed to, um, you know, sort of putting a Band-Aid over their manure pit. Got it. So when it comes to Farm Forward's philosophy, how much do you guys talk internally about that dance between promoting vegetarianism and then also promoting the the actual well-run farms and it, how how do you guys battle that internally and i'd like to throw in oh, yeah, also sorry, i just want to throw in beyond promoting vegetarianism also the next tier would be veganism so and if if one is well, I mean, right. I'm sure people are Obviously, going to have a lot of opinions on that. But, superiority. Well, you know, but, but seriously, though, like, you know, what truly at this day and age is going to be the most impactful thing to have people eat less meat, right. to eat them, have them not eat them. Well, maybe. Yeah. But <laughs> to have people eat vegetarian or for them to go full on vegan. Yeah. So how do you guys dance all of that? Like, why not just be like, we're a vegan? You know, so like, how did you guys end up in where you where you stand? That's a good question. So, yeah, I think what we what we saw is that you know, 30 years of advocating veganism hadn't really changed the number of vegetarians or vegans in this country. And um, that made us think we need to have a broader conversation and we need to be talking to people who, for whatever reasons, aren't ready to give up eating animal products. Uh, and that, uh, you know, in the face of this clear and present uh, current danger of factory farming, that it was very likely that we could, um, get the millions of conscientious consumers and conscientious people out there to make better decisions in this realm, which would ultimately probably lead us towards um, both, you know, hopefully no animals raised on factory farms, but also many, many fewer animals raised for food. Um, you know, if, if we, if we sort of get what we want, um, if we get to wave a magic wand, um, you know, the outcome will be that instead of 
you know, 9 billion animals uh, that are raised on factory farms every year in the U.S., there might be, you know, uh, tens of millions or, you know, maybe 100 million animals. Um, so we're talking about something that's radically different than what we have today. And because of that, people are going to then have to eat fewer, pro- fewer animal products. Um, so I think those things are, are very complementary. And for the tension, I mean, there's, there's certainly tension. We get a fair amount of um, uh, disgruntled uh, comments from vegans. And uh, we get, um, you know, sometimes we get criticism from farmers. And we are trying to sort of walk a, a fairly um, delicate line between wanting to support and, and promote uh, higher welfare practices um, but also we're not going to shy away from the reality that, um, you know, we just think as a practical matter, as well as an ethical matter, we have to, uh, raise fewer animals for food. Absolutely. Well, to, to wrap things up, uh, I wanted to ask you one more thing. There was a quote in Jonathan's book, eating animals that came from his grandmother that I have thought about every single day since I've read it. And the, the quote simply from her was, if nothing matters, then there's nothing left to save. And it's, it's one of those go-to comments. If nothing matters, there's nothing left to save that I think it will always make me think twice before I make decisions. And so to, before we part, what, what matters to you? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, that quote has also really resonated with me since I read I read the book about 10 years ago. Um, when our board chair, Aaron and Ben were supporting Jonathan and writing the book and helping him with research for it. Um, what matters to me? Um, I would like to see a food system that is, um, equitable and is just for all of the people and, um, beings who are part of it. Um, and that includes the animals that are part of it, but it also includes, the farm workers and the people working in processing plants and the people working in food distribution. And, um, and, you know, if we're buying things like seafood, it could even be, you know, people somewhere around the world who are, you know, on a shrimp farm in Southeast Asia. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I believe very deeply that we can have a food system that represents our values um, and is equitable and is ethical Um, and the more people engage with that and ask themselves questions about it, um, the, I think the, the more we'll be able to do and the more positive impact we'll be able to have. It's something where, you know, absolutism, um, or, you know, perfection isn't required. Um, you know, it's a, we, we can do tremendously meaningful things today that will improve the lives of millions or hundreds of millions of animals. And, that's something worth getting up for every day. Um, so that's, that's, that's sort of what motivates me to, to get out of bed and, and go to dinner parties and talk about chickens. <laughs> Way to bring circle. It. Yeah. Really smart there. Nice. Andrew bringing a full circle. Um, <laughs> if all of the cookies were, if all of the cookies were free, which one would you want to eat? <laughs> I would go straight to chocolate chunk uh, with a little salt. Ooh. I'm, I'm a, a real chocoholic. And I was just thinking as we were doing this or getting ready for this, I was thinking, I, I, I was just assuming that, you know, some sort of courier would arrive at my door with, uh, uh, with cookies cookie before we record. Where we, could, where we could eat and talk <laughs> about the delicious cookies we were eating. Andrew, let me tell you. Kate, we have failed. No, we have well, failed. Let me tell you that the, I don't know if this counts as a cookie, but what we're eating now is a blend of walnuts, dates, cacao, and vanilla, vanilla with a little bit of sea salt. So it's almost like a little brownie bite. And this is like, this is more of like a healthy version of a cookie. So I want you to know that if you were here, <laughs> you could have one you of would these. You would have bountiful brownie balls. Yes. But I, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think chocolate chunk is trash compared to oatmeal raisin. But we got to let you go now, Andrew. <laughs> On that note, she won't let you get another one in. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for your time and for the work you're doing. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate the time. Okay, so after that talk, I do want to offer you one little delicious recipe that you can make at home that is plant-based and is freaking good. And, and it's amazing. And my wife 
is develop this recipe and I have eaten it a minimum of three times that I can remember. <laughs> I, I actually, we, we turned it into nachos too. There's lots you can do with it, but it's a butternut squash mac and cheese. So just think of your classic baked mac and cheese, what was but that instead noise? of... <laughs> I don't know. That was your, like... It was like get, a porn get thing. Get it on mac and cheese. Okay, was, give it to the people. The verbal ejaculation. Um, <laughs> so it, it, instead of cheese, dairy cheese, it, it's a combination of roasted butternut squash that has been seasoned with all the good stuff. Yeah, it's sexy time when you talk about stuff like this. Nutritional yeast, um, lots of little goody things, some little white wine in there, Cajun seasoning. Anyway, what you need to do is you need to go to at free Cookies podcast, our Instagram page, you will find a beautiful photo of the mac and cheese and the recipe will be there for you. So try it out. Nutritional yeast, if you're like, what in the what is that? It is this little yellow flaky powder. It's a yeast. Oh my God, are you really still bound to go bowing over there? I think it's funny. Okay, continue with the background music. Um, the Braggs sells this in a little shaker or if you go to your loose section, you can find that. And if you happen to live in a place where they do not sell nutritional yeast, you can always buy it online. Wow. This podcast is produced by Lindsay Collins of FNB Radio. It's a podcast. You should listen to it. You can email us at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on that Instagram that Catherine was talking about, Free Cookies Podcast. Yes, indeed. On Instagram. Do we have, wait, this is my job. Did oh, yeah, it's your job. I found them. I found them. I found them. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, which is really, really helpful. You like to believe that this is the time of the show that you don't need to listen to because awesome things don't happen. But one time we gave away $10,000 at the end of the show. Okay? So this is the part of the show that you got to stick around for because this is where the... And so these are the people that we want to thank. Yoga Nikki. What's Yoga up? Yoga Nikki. Rita Bo Peep. Bo Peep. Thank you. Leo's Proud Mama. That's Aww. really cute. I like that. Um, these are like Peloton names. Kel Michelle Bell. That's clever. I like that one. X Dana X Marie X. Oh, that sounds like sexy time. Dana Marie. And then Opal Aries. Heifer Forbes. Taken dot a dot chance. Laser beam. In parentheses, laser beam. <laughs> laser beam. Yo, so thank listen. you guys so much. And if you have not taken the time to rate or review or subscribe to our show, that is you really great You are losing great out for on us. a chance to win $10,000. I do believe that these are the best minutes Printed of the show. Printed by Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly money. No, it was a real giveaway that we did. Was it? It was a real giveaway. Go back and listen Gosh. all the way through to every episode and you will find it. Okay. All right, we out. <laughs>